Welcome to episode number six of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name's Ann Conkley. I'm a life coach and a certified nurse midwife, and we're going to talk today about what is going on in the media right now with Redonda Vaught, the nurse who was recently convicted of homicide, and I want to specifically talk about what it means for nurses who want to live the good life, because I think that's a conversation that serves you to have. So first, before we get started, I just want to note that it is the end of March here in Cleveland, and like most cities in the Midwest, we're, we're dealing with still snow, and I'm tired of it. <laughs> I just came back from about eight days in sunny Florida, had a wonderful time with family, and uh, and I could not be uh, at the exact opposite of the spectrum um, here in Cleveland with snow on the ground and uh, slush and you know all the... Uh, early elements of spring that have just been temporarily put on hold because we've had yet another snow. So, but such is life here in Cleveland and in the Midwest, as most of you guys uh, know who are around these parts. So, so um, I want to talk about Redonda Vaught today because I think it makes a difference for a lot of us in nursing and healthcare in general. And I think that it's an important um, consideration to make at this point in terms of if you are someone who's starting to think about what does it mean for me to live the good life as an advanced practice nurse, I think that we can't have that conversation without really talking about what's going on with Redonda Vaught and what it means for those of us in healthcare. So um, first and foremost, let's just start off with kind of the, the basics. And I've seen a lot of the commentary online uh, around and really focused on Redonda's errors and her mistakes that she made. And I've seen a lot of nurses comment on the fact that she should have just followed process. And if she had done her five hours of medication reconciliation, she wouldn't be here. And, um, and I get that. And I, and I think that that's a part of the conversation. Um, and I, I want to just make note that I think as individuals who hold a license and who go into work every day, and we uh, take a pledge to commit for, to safe care and to providing the best outcomes that we can for patients and to providing them with uh, access to safe health care. I think we, we have to acknowledge that it's our responsibility for those of us who hold those licenses to make sure that we do our due diligence in terms of uh, keeping them up and knowing how to practice within them knowing how to stay within our scope of practice, uh, knowing what the rules and regs are around how we can practice. And, uh, and I think that's an important part of it, certainly. And as you know, individuals, especially in our field, we are responsible at the end of the day. And in our roles, especially as advanced practice nurses, the buck stops with us. Sometimes as much as we don't want it to be that way, but it does, right? And a lot of us get into becoming advanced practice nurses because we desire that higher level of responsibility. But um, so I think there's something to be said for the fact that, yes, in fact, as Redonda herself has has admitted and discussed that uh, she made an error and uh, and she, like many of us, uh, are you know, not perfect and, and, uh, have admitted to doing something wrong. And so I want to just note that and say that, yes, in fact, is the individual responsible. And for all of those, uh, all of us who hold licenses, are we responsible for the actions that we take every day? Yes, absolutely. And there's, there's no question in my mind, uh, that an error was made. And then in this case, an error was made that caused significant harm and ultimately death to a patient and the loss of a family member for a family out there. And certainly, uh, a lot of suffering for, uh, 
you know, everyone in that family and in this situation. And I also just want to, though, remind you that what happens when we look at individuals with a narrow scope and we say, well, Redonda and every individual and every individual nurse, you know, therefore who's created a mistake or made an error of some sort is responsible. And I think that, yes, that's a great place to start, but it can't be the end of the conversation. It can't be the whole conversation, I guess I should say. I think the other necessary parts of the conversation or the parts that we're not currently having are that when a nurse goes into a, a system, right, as an individual, he, she, or they is held to write the scope of practice and to their license. And I think the other piece of this is that we as individuals operate within systems and systems that weren't always built for us, right? They weren't built with us in mind, systems that weren't um, interested in our input and systems that don't really make it easier for us to do our jobs. And so when we talk about Rodonda, we have to also then talk about what is at play here, which is that you have an individual and you have then an individual who, and you also have systems, right? And so these are the two players, right? Individuals and systems. And then what's interesting is that you have the individual who operates within the system. And I talk about this quite a bit in this breakdown in terms of burnout. We talk about this in Women Who Cultivate because we talk about how when we look at the individual, if we put all of the onus and responsibility on the individual, right, we then don't account for things like toxic cor- uh, culture and, you know, issues that really contribute to burnout, like shitty process and, um, you know, and uh, misogynistic um, behaviors by other professionals. And right, we don't, if we don't talk about that portion of it, we just put the, the onus of burnout on the individual, uh, the shoulders of the individual, it makes for a lot of work for the individual. And it doesn't also hold accountability to the system for the role that it plays in causing elements of the burnout. And so it's no different in this conversation around Redonda, which is that when we look at her actions and her behaviors, clearly we notice that she um, you know, admitted to uh, guilt to having given an incorrect medication. And then we also, though, see that We have some system failures that also contributed to poor process and really to making it harder for her to do her job within a system, right? We have the PIXIS system, and I'll use PIXIS here just as the the catch-all for the electronic medication systems that are in place or uh, that that you've probably seen in your hospital that I've certainly used uh, in a past hospital uh, that dispense medications um, in an automated fashion or based on a computer-generated system behind it. And, um, and I think what's, what's interesting here is that when you have a PIXIS system, and as you guys know, if you've ever been in a PIXIS and trying to get the med that you need, whether it's an emergency situation or um, in, a, you know, in a regular routine situation, sometimes those systems aren't set up for success, right? Sometimes you can't get to the meds that you have. Either the, the order isn't in or the order's expired or there's n- not enough of it or you know, your PIXIS hasn't been refilled. I mean, there are a lot of issues in and of itself with the actual machine of a PIXIS. Right. And so if we talk about the systems that are in play, we can't talk about, you know, just the actions by Redonda. We also have to talk about things like the Pixis. We have to talk about things like um, whether or not the procedures and policies and the guidelines that were put in place at Vanderbilt supported Redonda in helping to increase 
uh, safety for her patients, helped her to become the best nurse, helped her to have an opportunity to provide the best level of care, right? And we certainly know that's not the case because we've got good uh, data that's been released on public record. And I think the Tennessean, which is a, um, uh, it may be a print uh, newspaper, but it's certainly an online one that has really given a good account of all of the details. And they've done some of the digging around asking for records to become public, um, uh, surrounding the case for Redonda. And so we have, we have good insight into all of the system level issues, uh, that weren't, uh, built to support, um, improve outcomes for patients, right. That went on in Redonda's case, which are what, well, you have policies and procedures that don't line up. You know, this is a typical case of the left hand, not knowing what the right hand is doing, which I know if you've been in a large organization, you've seen your fair share of just like I have, and, um, and so when we, so if we look at the PIXIS system, we look at some of the policies and procedures, maybe around giving meds or the ways in which, um, you know, sedation or, you know, goes on in institutions, um, the ways in which medications are laid out, right? If we look at some of the system errors here, we can really understand that an individual is only as good as the system in which she is operating, right? And we, I think as nurses come into our profession and we are the people who want to do right and we want to do good and we come in, you know, to our profession, many of us, because we want to um, lend a helping hand. We want to see other people get better, right? Like, I mean, think of the reasons why you went into the nursing profession off the bat, right? A lot of us, I think, looked at nursing as a vehicle for us to be able to care for people, right? Without understanding too, that what came with caring for people was also, you know, in this day and age, electronic medical records and pixuses and, you know, all sorts of crap that makes it harder to do the job that, you know, you, you inevitably got into the profession to do, but right. Such is kind of life. I mean, that is what healthcare is right now. So there's no, no need to fight with reality. I mean, that's just what it is. But for, you know, if you're the person who comes into healthcare and you are inundated with shitty process and shit systems, right? You can only be as good as your systems. And we know that there's um, a, you know, there's a movement by organizations, especially in the past probably 10 to, to 15 years. And it was prompted by the 2010 report to Air is Human, where we started to notice that the third leading cause of uh, death in the United States was due to medical error, right? And so we started to realize that we had a lot of um, shitty process that wasn't only bad in terms of process, right? And from an operational standpoint, it wasn't only maybe contributing to longer wait times or, uh, you know, making more steps in the process for the patient to complete. But we also started to see that there was real harm uh, and a decrease in patient safety because of some of the moves that we were making and some of the processes that really, frankly, weren't designed to keep patients safe, uh, or maybe were designed to keep patients safe in the beginning, but didn't hold up to that in the end. So what's interesting is that, you know, as we've seen more of a conversation around quality of improvement, risk management, um, and, you know, risk management, quality improvement kind of go hand in hand, right? Because risk management's from the side of the hospital of like, well, let's manage our risk and quality improvement and quality insurance projects will tell you, well, you know, we have to make sure that things are, are the best that they can be, right? And so very often you'll see that those 
uh, programs go hand in hand in many organizations. And maybe like your organization, like mine at some point, uh, committed to being an HRO or a high reliability organization. And it's done things like uh, lean certification or, you know, looking at uh, systems from a large standpoint and trying to eliminate waste in those systems in order again to uh, improve uh, patient safety and reduce harm. Um, and so I th- we've seen our some of healthcare go through um, a journey on becoming safer for patients, right? But we also know that systems in general, especially those of us who've been in some of these larger systems and academic medical centers, we know that they are just fraught with error. They're fraught with shitty process. And, um, and I'll be honest, you know, one of the things that I remember very on in my nursing career was being the nurse who had to mix the mag bags and the pit bags on the unit. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever mixed a bag of mag, mag magnesium sulfate in this case, uh, or a bag of Pitocin, you know, you're working with two high risk medications. And the fact, I mean, even to think about the fact that at some point in, well, this was probably 2004, that we were still mixing bags of pit and mag on the unit sounds absolutely asinine. I mean, it just sounds totally crazy to even think that that's what we did, but I, that's what we did. And I remember mixing my fair share of them. Um, and let's just say it wasn't an exact science. Okay. Um, and like, if you know, you know, kind of a thing. So, um, so I think about, right not only my own experience of having mixed some of these meds and, and having made some errors of my own throughout my career, not only in terms of meds, but um, maybe in putting orders in on the wrong patient or, right, I've had my fair share of, uh, of small and big fuck-ups over my career. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I think most of everybody in healthcare, right? As a human, I've come into uh, an imperfect system and made some errors. And, um, and I think too, back to one medication error in particular, which happened with a patient, uh, when I was a nurse and, um, and, and witnessing a patient who had received, instead of getting a standard dose of Pitocin, uh, right. And this comes back from the days when we used to mix the bags of mag and the bags of pit on the unit. And, uh, this patient in particular come in, had an uncomplicated vaginal birth, and um, part of our standard process was uh, using active management of the third stage of labor and using Pitocin as a bolus. And so this patient, instead of getting a bag of pit, a pit in a bag of, of normal saline, 20 units of pit in a bag of normal saline, she got a full bag of uh, magnesium sulfate mixed in a bag of LR. And the patient, uh, we didn't know this at the time, but what we did know was what we saw, which was that the patient uh, lost consciousness and she coded. And so thankfully we had our team of anesthesiologists right nearby. She was intubated quickly uh, and she ended up um, going to the unit and uh, recovered there, left the hospital several days later uh, without tremendous harm. But, you know, we almost killed her right? Like the patient almost died. Uh, it came close, right? Probably one of the closer I've seen, you know, several patients, um, and neonates who have died over the course of 15 years in healthcare. Right. And, um, uh, and, and had several of them who were near misses, right. And she would qualify, this patient would qualify as a, uh, a, a serious safety event, a sentinel event, in fact, um, and not a near miss, but a near miss in terms of like, she nearly missed death, right? Um, 
which as you guys know, if you've done any quality improvement work near misses, uh, actually mean where we, we got all the way, we got very close, but nearly missed, you know, doing harm to them. So, but this, this gal, in fact, um, you know, this patient, uh, went home, walked out of the hospital with her infant, which was good. And what's so interesting though, is that, you know, when I look back to that experience and I think about all the changes that we subsequently made on the back end, right? Because, you know, as when, as you know, if you've been involved in any of these situations where you had a sentinel event or, um, an event where there was serious harm or injury or death caused to a patient that you usually break them down. You do a root cause analysis on them. You, um, take them through a quality assurance committee. You, by definition, you have to, uh, report them to the state so that the state knows and can investigate, do its own, uh, thorough investigation. And, um, but we did ours, and uh, I remember at that time we made it. Part of our uh, process was to take all of the medication mixing and remove it from L and D, and to give that to the pharmacy so that we knew that meds could be um, mixed in a standard approach and done by pharmacists who were trained to do it. Um, we also made sure that you know we did things like you know. Uh, putting different colors on mag bags versus uh, pit bags, right? So that you had color coding and a visual reminder, right? So when you went to, uh, you know, go get your bag of mag or pit, whether it was out of a Pixis or at that time, before we even had a Pixis on the unit and we kept those bags in a... Um, um, a locker, uh, in essence, that you could grab them and you'd have a visual reminder of which ones were mag, those were green, and then which ones were pit and those were in a hot pink. Uh, we also had, right, introduced then uh, labeling lines so that we knew, you know, that we were doing another safety check on lines. Um, and so I think of all of the improvements that we made after that um, event happened. And I think of the fact that the nurse who made that mistake, that she was uh, liable, right? Like she she mistakenly grabbed the wrong bag of medicine. And so she was at, uh, at risk of uh, probably disciplinary action, whether it was from the board of nursing or from the uh, institution. And that nurse um, didn't go to jail though, right? She, she did not like Redonda Vaught go to jail. And, um, but what happened, right. And our, and our hospital didn't close, right. Like labor and delivery kept on pumping. We changed some of our processes. We made sure that we were, um, you know, set up and, um, you know, not getting dinged by the state and, uh, and we went about our, our way. And, um, and I'm sure that that nurse probably has, you know, uh, fear for the statute of limitations to run out on the time frame in which she could maybe be sued for, you know, the, that, and I would imagine on the back end, our hospital probably settled or offered some sort of a settlement to that patient, possibly, I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, nobody went to jail for it for making a mistake. And the reality is, if you looked at the um, state of the entire you know, event, the reality is there were a lot of issues along the way, right? You could cite the fact that, right, the individual, again, if we come back to this, uh, this initial hypothesis that the individual is only as good as the system that she, he, or they are in, then how, how is it that, you know, we can say, well, you know, if the individual actually takes the wrong vial and mixes the wrong vial in the wrong matter, takes the wrong bag because it's inappropriately labeled, and we haven't set up that individual for 
complete success and we've increased the number of failures that could possibly happen, meaning you could go and grab the wrong bag, you can go and grab the wrong med, you could actually take the wrong vial and mix it into the wrong, you know, you could put like a vial of, you know, 20 of pit into a a bag of D10, right? You want to see somebody go into like DKA for God's sakes, right? Like give them a little bit of pit and put it in a bag of D10. And so, but if we can look at it from the system's perspective and then look at the individual and say, well, if you don't set the individual up for success, but then you blame the individual at the end of the day, is that right? And is it fair? And I think with the Redonda Vought trial, I think that's one of the things that still lingers in my mind and one of the concerns that I have for our profession. Because if all of us sign up, you know, to come to work and we take our responsibility, you know, um, with... We, we, we put a lot into the work that we do and we um, take personal responsibility for uh, the license under which we operate and we make sure that we operate w- under the rules and regs of that license. And, and then we come into systems that are imperfect and then we ultimately make an error. You know, in the past, before this Redonda Vought trial, We've always known that litigation was an issue, malpractice was an issue. We've known that systems had to change. We've known that you could get reported to the state. We've known that you could face disciplinary action you know, from the Board of Nursing and that possibly your license could be stripped. But nobody ever went to jail. And I think what for me is, again, very concerning is that Number one, this case is, is sets the precedent for uh, nurses and other healthcare providers to be subject to criminal prosecution for making mistakes in a healthcare setting, which is concerning because, right, again, if we come back to 2010, right, if the third leading cause of death in this country is medical error, then we're going to have a lot of people going to fucking jail. I mean, our, if, you know, if we're going to be really brutally honest here, <laughs> because the data doesn't lie. Right? We have a lot of medical error that occurs, and we have a lot of large systems and organizations that are, again, built on, you know, without maybe the people doing the work in mind, right? You guys know this. It's like the, the PIXA system, right? Like, take a nurse and have a nurse actually be the person who invents a PIXA system. That PIXA system is going to work a lot better than some, you know, somebody sitting in some high, far off white ivory tower who's like, oh, I think I got this great tech idea. We could take meds and put them in a little computer box and make people type shit in and have to go get them. Like, I'll tell you, right, if you are the person who comes up with the solution, right, the reality is that if you know that the the integr- all of the details surrounding why that solution is necessary, right? You will be far better at providing a solution that actually works and does good, causes more good than harm. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's concerning, right? Because I think, again, we see that there's now a precedent set for criminal Um, charges to be placed against a nurse, which is very concerning, right? Because knowing full well that humans make mistakes, you and I are humans, humans make mistakes. We know that mistakes occur in medicine at a very high rate. Um, Maybe you've had a personal experience like I've had with many, you know, large and small fuck ups in your career or seen other, some of your colleagues go through them. I certainly have. Um, So, but I, I also get concerned about the fact that when the individual then goes and faces criminal prosecution, right? What happens to the system? Like if you noticed in the Redonda Vought trial, right? Like Vanderbilt dropped Redonda, uh, Vanderbilt and the Board of Nursing dropped her like a hot potato. 
they were done with her. The board of nursing's like, girl, we stripped your license. We did our due diligence, you know, to keep the public safe by stripping her license. You know, they they sleep well at night, right? Thinking they've taken a nurse off the streets who've, who's done, made some medical error. Uh, and then, right, then you have the system of Vanderbilt who they'll get their hands slapped, right, by CMS and they have to change some of their process and, and do things a little bit differently. And you could argue that the nurse educators and all the unit managers and all the, you know, guidelines that need to be updated and the training and compliance that needs to come, you know, um, that needs to happen because of this event, that that's like a pain in the ass. And yeah, of course, but at the end of the day, why else are we here, right? Like, I would argue that that work should have been done probably sooner, right? Because, right, well, why, what happens otherwise? Well, you have patients who get the wrong medications and then they die, right? So, so does the system have to do a lot of work? Yeah, but we could also argue that that work, you know, probably should have been done a long time ago, right? Processes should have been put in place, especially around high-risk medications. So, um, but Vanderbilt, so Vanderbilt will kind of sleep well though, right? Because Vanderbilt's not taking much of a hit from this, right? They're not losing their accreditation. They're, you know, I think the um, CMS had threatened if they weren't compliant or if they didn't introduce, uh, make some of the changes that they would limit their reimbursement off of uh, any patients, you know, who have CMS or centers for Medicaid and Medicare uh, are insured by CMS, which is a, is a hefty um, issue, right? For most hospitals that accept patients who are support, who are insured by Medicaid and Medicare. Um, and at the end of the day, right? But Vanderbilt's still open. Vanderbilt's not going to jail. There's no CEO. The CEO of Vanderbilt's not going to jail because of this patient died under his or her watch or their watch, right? The the department chief isn't going to jail. The unit manager isn't going to jail, right? Because of the shitty process that was in place, right? But the Redonda Vaughn is, right? Like she, right? And I, so I just, I think it's important that we're aware, right? Because if you think that, you know, in your career, you think about the people who will go to bat for you when shit hits the fan. And I just want to take a moment and, and just as a gentle reminder, say that, you know, you might not have the support of your institution. You might not have the support of the board of nursing. You might not have the support of um, anybody if you make an error as the individual in a very, in a system that has crummy process. And I think that's the terrible part. I think it's actually maddening, right? Because you have still this healthcare system that's going to bumble on and still have, you know, it, that is still fraught with error and, um, and all of the things that are put in place to make, you know, delivery of care harder than it needs to be. And they're still going to go, you know, everybody kind of sleeps well at night except for Redonda Vaughn, right? Except for the family of the person who died. They're not sleeping well at night probably, right? So that's where I think for me, I think the conversation, if we can recognize that, number one, yes, is the individual responsible? Certainly the individual with the license is always responsible, and number two, that individuals operating on an individual level, you know, have a certain level of control. And then individuals who operate within systems, especially systems with shit process, they only have a certain degree of control. And they're going to be, they, they may be subject to those shitty processes um, that don't set them up for success. And so if we can just note that those two, those, those things are true, then I think the next, and also knowing that right now we have this precedent set for a legal um, 
criminal um, criminal charges could come against a nurse or a healthcare per- personnel who who makes a medical error that results in death. Now that we kind of have the, these things as evidence, I think the the question for me really becomes like, what does that mean for nurses everywhere? And and what does that mean for really becoming a nurse who lives a good life? And can you be a nurse who lives a good life within a system that's got a lot of error and opportunity for error within it? And and I don't know, some of you will probably hear that question and say, yeah, of course I'm going to be a nurse. Of course I'm going to keep going and I'm going to double down and make sure that you know, that I start to maybe work on a quality uh, assurance committee, or, you know, maybe I start to do some more work in risk management, or maybe I start to look at some things on my unit that could improve and, and do my part to, you know, improve the process and really exert control where I can. And I think that's a phenomenal opportunity for many of you. And then I know there are going to be some of you who have already thought about, you know, is this where I want to spend the next 5, 10, 15, or 20 years? And knowing full well that now there's a new precedent set for criminal charges that could be put brought against someone who aims to do well, who shows up with the best of intentions, but who makes a human mistake um, that you know, if the possibility of sitting in prison for one to six years isn't something that excites you, then I would say it may be time to question, well, then is this really the vehicle, is nursing the vehicle that's going to get me to living my version of the good life? And I don't know. I think that's a, I think that's a question that is really brewing in my mind and something that I think that for many of us who, especially those of us who are a little bit more um, entrepreneurial and spirit who look at processes and systems. And, you know, we look at just all of the, uh, things that hold us back from being able to do things the way that we want. You know, I wonder if it's not a time where we will start to see that there are more, uh, more of us who embrace entrepreneurship and embrace opening up our own practices so that we can do it in a way that feels that where we can exert control and where we can, um, inevitably, you know, be people who um, take systems and create them for the better, right? And so I think that's the question that is with me now and that I think is a question for, you know, nurses everywhere. Like, do you want to rely on nursing as the vehicle to get you there? Are you willing to you know, stay in a job for the next 5, 10, or 15 years knowing full well that there's a new precedent that's set? Um, are you willing to rely on one stream of income, you know, and we saw this with the pandemic, which is that we had a lot of nurses who were furloughed or termed because at the start of the pandemic, when electives were, um, were cut and were put on hold, we had a lot of people who lost employment, um, a lot of advanced practice nurses in particular. And so is that, you know, are you comfortable with that? Right. Is it, uh, like, are you comfortable knowing that the board of nursing and your institution and, you know, may drop you if you make a medical error? Um, and, and again, I think the, there's no right or wrong answer to this, but my, the reason I think that it's important to bring it up is because I think it's an opportunity for you to question whether or not this is the track that you want to be on. Right. Sometimes we have these moments where we uh, are offered an opportunity and a window into: Is this what I want to be doing? Is the juice worth the squeeze here for me? 
And so I think it's a great opportunity for you to start to pause and consider, is this my version of living the good life? And am I all in on, you know, based on our current situation? So, so, um, if this is something that's of interest to you and you would like some more resources, uh, I invite you personally to come over and check us out for Women Who Cultivate, which is my group coaching program for women advanced practice nurses who want to start living the good life. They want to stop feeling exhausted and they want to start feeling empowered. Um, they want to um, they want to start private practices. They want to be the ones who create the systems that work. Uh, and so the Women Who Cultivate program is set up for you and we're waiting for you. So come on over and join us. You can check it out at www.anconcleycnm.com. Uh, and, uh, don't hesitate to reach out with any questions. Okay. All right. Some food for thought on this episode for you guys, but, uh, good talking with you and I will see you next time. Take care.